0: Hi, this is Vicki Abelson, and this is Game Changers, and my guest today is Sam Harris. Sam! Hi, Vicki! You know, Sam, it was almost exactly a year ago that we did this last. Really? Yes, I almost exactly. You at my house? I was in your house, and Cooper and Danny were gone somewhere, I don't remember where. Um, there was something going on, there was an earthquake. Do you remember there was
1: an earthquake last I'm year? Like I tell you anything that's happened previous to the pandemic? is just small talk. So I don't remember, was there an earthquake? Was there a tsunami? There Who was knows? A, <laughs> there was. There was an earthquake the day, like the day
0: before we had we had our show. And, and we survived. And we survived, and
1: we'll survive this too, right? Tell me we will. Absolutely, oh my God, yes. We just have to be patient and suck it up. Stop okay. whining, suck it up.
0: How good are you with patience? I'm not good with patience.
1: I'm good. Oh. Oh, when it comes cool. to this i'm good because i am so uh frustrated with people who are like i need to touch my friend you know what you don't you don't you have facetime you have this you have phones you have things people didn't have 50 years ago so get over it suck it up and we'll all be healthy and move forward and that's that
0: okay but i want to just say it's very easy for you to say because you are with the men you love and I, I am not. My son and my boyfriend, I have not been able to touch for almost four, for four and a half months.
1: And that sucks. But, but Vicky, you can touch yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, yes. I, we, we, yes. <laughs> 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 when I think about... I have, I I have great empathy for that. I have friends who are single and it's really brutal. And I totally get it. I'm just talking about the ephemeral nature of this pandemic. It will move on. It will move mm-hmm. forward. And I would rather deal with whatever it is and be alive mm-hmm. than not.
0: Sam, you're talking to the, the leader of the COVID crazies. That's what we call ourselves. I have a daily show called Shooting the Shit with Vicky, and we are the COVID crazies, and I- we talk. I saw a couple of your videos, hysterical, the one where you go to Arby's and you and your manager exchange things on the roof of your cars.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know what? And also Vicki, you know this about me and I know this about you, that we find you have to find the humor. You have to find the humor, otherwise you're just dead. Otherwise it's just tragic.
0: Yes, absolutely. And anyway, anyway, <laughs> and and I love Cooper giving you the haircut,
1: hysterical. He didn't You know what, I didn't have a choice. And you know what, I'll tell you something else. Because you and I, you know, we hooked up 30 minutes ago or whatever to make sure our connection was good. And I had just, I had been up since 5 a.m. because I had an East Coast live feed to New York. And so I was really tired and I took a nap. And I was like, oh my God, it's time to talk to Vicky. And then I talked to you and I said, oh, I'm gonna take a shower, which I did. And then I laid back down, which is not good. And so so I thought when I got back, I would look 20 years younger and 20 pounds lighter. And that is not the case. So here I am with you, my friend who I love.
0: Who I love you too. All right, you're gonna sing for a second for us. I, you know, I wanna tell everybody out there that I have completely badgered you into this, that this is not your choice that this is something you are not doing in Corona and it's just not the thing. But I just, I, as I explained to you, I can't have the Beatles on, I can't have Paul McCartney on and not have him sing just a
1: little. And, it's, and that's like it with you, Sam. So you're just gonna give us a taste. Here's what I'm thinking. Okay. I'm very well because I've been napping, which is never good before you sing. <laughs> I may sound more like Joe Cocker than Sam Harris. But I'm gonna give it a shot, only for you, only for you. Thanks. So moving over to my piano. Okay. Backlight here. Oh my! Oh dear. Okay.
0: You're gonna have your halo going on.
1: Brutal. Yeah, I do have a halo for you. That's just awful, isn't it?
0: No, you know it's not awful. It it looks like you're you're drenched in godliness. You're drenched in godliness, that's- a- and I'll, move
1: I'll move to a better room when we actually talk.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah.
1: It is, it's very sort of, okay. So, you know, Vicki, when you coerced me into this- Yes. You're gonna be talking about my book. Yes. Which is about, I would say one of the, the themes, of course, is healing, which we'll talk oh. about. And so I thought, what can I do that is along those lines and is particular okay. to this time? And wish me, wish, okay, you what I'm gonna try. You
0: don't need luck, you don't need luck. Baby! But it's about the soul, and it's about from what comes from your heart. And I'm reading the comments of people, and you're moving people. And Carrie is saying how she watched you on Star Search with her mother. And if her mother were here to watch this today, how much it would mean. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff. This is this is the way we connect in corona.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is the way we, it's our, our corona connection. Our so corona. I'm, I'm plugging you in to another... Okay. Another uh, view, hold on. Oh my God, I'm schwitzing. You're (laughs) schwitzing. I'm like a closet.
0: All right, I have to try to figure out how to make us the same size. Right now, I'm like a giant compared to you. How are we gonna make ourselves so that we we match?
1: It's because you're, are you on a laptop?
0: Yeah, all right, I'm gonna go closer.
1: Push it up a little because I'm seeing a lot of your desk.
0: But you know why? Because I don't want you to see <laughs> you see this.
1: Because I haven't been to the
0: hairdresser. Vicky,
1: Vicky, I want to see your face. I don't want to see your glasses. Pick Wait, up.
0: I don't have glasses on. All no. oh, those.
1: Okay. You don't care about your roots.
0: Well, my roots are so horrible. I'm going Monday. I'm going to be the right, first. one. you mean you're not natural blonde? <laughs> of course I am. Sam. So, yeah. look, I have a yarmulke. Um Aha! so so i don't have a, a, my son is not in my house to do my hair he went pink in the in the pandemic my good son for him yes he went pink He's hair not now when <laughs> no no and yes exactly He's not now Sam that okay. was so beautiful thank you for indulging me i really appreciate my it
1: you coerced me it's always my pleasure
0: oh my god it felt so good so i'm really excited Sam because we've got you when your book just just dropped last it's week just dropped. A baby, um, the substance of all things, which I am reading. And I have to tell you, I could not put it down. It's crazy. It's, it's phenomenal. And I, I, I want to read you my favorite line so far. And it, I don't know if it's, if it's the most stupendous line in the book, but I read it, and I'm a writer, and I stopped in my tracks. The other five rooms were furnished like a disagreement. Oh, my god. I mean, it's genius, Ah. simple thing and it's genius. And here's my, here's my, here's my other favorite. He told me he didn't want me to miss someone I didn't never know. I knew it was more likely that he was trying not to miss someone he did. goosebumps even saying it again.
1: Yeah, that's the reference when Theo, the protagonist, the young boy is explaining to his little sister who has never met her mother because her mother died in childbirth. And she's saying, why aren't there any pictures of mommy in the house? And she said, she asked her dad and he said, because he didn't want her to miss someone she didn't know. And Theos, says to himself, I think it's more that he wanted to not miss someone that he did, yeah.
0: Sam, you know, I, I wanna talk about this book first and at the end, and we're gonna talk about other stuff in the middle, but I wanna talk about this book now, because we're here. I can't mm-hmm. imagine where this came from in you I know it's an Oklahoma boy and you're an Oklahoma boy so yeah, I'm that so where I mean this is a novel your other book was was memoir right where, where where did this come from?
1: when I when I had been very encouraged to write fiction rather than another memoir rather than another collection of essays,
0: <clears throat> it was very-
1: by whom? Pardon me, by whom? By the, by the president of Galley uh, at Simon & Schuster and by my editor there. And they brought me into New York to have this conversation, which I was so terrified of. And they were like, you need to be writing fiction. And a lot of the reviewers of HAM had also said, I mean, I, it's weird, I don't want to like, they had said he has the chops, he needs to be writing fiction. So, but then I had a year of nothing Vicky I had a year of no ideas nothing it seems so large because it's one thing to write a memoir even as transparent and poignant as that may have been at times and it's <laughs> another thing to take on something that is uh just it's a big it's so many words you know i mean there are there are so many words
0: <laughs> <laughs> hold it up so people can see the cover
1: well this is my galley so it says may not sell but that's that's <laughs> Thing, We um, love it. I love it. So and then it kind of I was at, actually at a dinner party with a friend and he was saying, I don't know you from having a dinner uh, dinner, a writer's block. You always kind of just go with it. Right. And, and he started asking me questions like interviewing me about my life and my childhood. And all of a sudden this thing sort of came together based on a couple of stories of my own personal life. And I said, can I have a legal pad? And I left the dinner party and went into his bedroom and sat in the corner and started making notes. Oh, stop. And then it kind of came, you know, when it's like you wait for whatever that thing is and then when it comes, it just flows. Now, but I will tell you, Vicki, and you know this because how far are you into the book?
0: I'm 150 pages in.
1: Okay, and it's what? I'm um, a little
0: half? less than half.
1: Okay, it's like 370. Right. So, but the, this concept right for those of you who haven't read, which is parting everyone because it just dropped.. Right. Uh, the, 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 the book goes from 1968 in rural Oklahoma to present time with the same character. So when as a child, 12 year old boy and then as an adult, and the adult is a therapist. And so these stories go back to back, back and forth between young Theo and older Theo, who was a therapist, And that second story did not exist when I wrote the first one. I first wrote Theo, only young Theo.
0: Wow.
1: And my my editor said, what happens to Theo? What happened? And he was doing it to sort of inform my work about the first story. Right. Actually went bing, bing, bing. And then I thought of this woman character, which we'll talk about. and then you know and it's so funny because when you talk about writing or creating anything a painter or whatever it always sounds so cliche and sort of metaphysically bullshit to say and then it came but the <laughs> truth is you know you start writing the characters and the characters write you and when i was writing i knew a basic concept of things but i had no idea what was going to happen and i was writing to find out what was going to happen
0: I did the same thing in my fictionalized memoir and I was writing the truth and I still didn't know where I was going to go or what story I was going to tell next.
1: Exactly. But
0: they say write what you know and so how much of this is informed by people that you knew, know? How much of this, how much of you is in there because I can feel you.
1: Oh, honey, let me shut my doors because my, my dogs are barking okay. and it's either shut the door or kill them. Hold on.
0: <laughs> shut the door. Let's shut the door and I'll go say hi to everybody. Hi, Tova, hi, Rick, hi, Pam. I'm saying hi to people. Hi, Tony, hi, Linda, hi, Mike, hi, Sharon. Yeah, okay. (laughs)
1: So anyway, yes. I would say that that's true for any writer that you write from a place of, there's some autobiography and everything. Theo is very, very, very close to me. Um, But I also find myself in all of the characters. Even the villains, yes, um, we find ourselves in them because guess what? You know what? When you, when as an actor, when I'm playing a villain, he, that, I'm not, play, I'm not a villain, right? Right. I have an objective and a mission and an agenda and I have a goal and I want something. You don't see yourself as a bad person, right? Even Donald T. does not see himself as a bad person. He's wrong, but does <laughs> see They people have their own thing, and so. Everybody is a part of me, but Theo, of course, is uh, very much me as a child in many ways. And Frank, his he has a he has a Native American outcast in this small rural town of Dalton in uh, 1968 Oklahoma. And Frank is very much a couple of people who have been my guides and. and-
0: uh, okay, I got that sense. How about how about his his father? Not so much.
1: Ooh. Well, my, father, my father. Now, in in the book, the father has a. Okay, I'm gonna just tell you guys. The prologue explains that there is an a car accident, which you learn later takes his mother's pregnant mother's life, and his father. And Theo, the protagonist, is disfigured in that accident. And he doesn't have full use of his hands. His hands, uh, he can't use in the right way, but he learns he has I've been
0: been trying to picture what that looks like. I'm sorry to interrupt you.
1: I'll tell you. Okay. It says that it's as if he's holding a grapefruit when his hands are relaxed. So it's like this. It's like claws. Okay. He can do certain things, but he is clearly, visually... Deformed, crippled. Yeah. yeah. So the father is also injured in this in this accident. You asked me about my my father and that father. Um, while my my real father did not have you know any physical afflictions, he was very hot and cold, and he could turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. And this father can try to be his his better self, but his injury always reminds him of. His, what he thinks is his responsibility for this accident. And it takes him from, you know, zero to 100 very, very quickly. So, you know, I think that I'm in touch with all those things. The specifics are different, but the feelings are the same. Does that make sense?
0: It totally makes sense. Okay. Now, I know you can give away the other huge part of this story because it's in the beginning. I, it might even be in your prologue. I'm not sure, but I think it is.
1: Maybe. What?
0: The fact that his hands are special.
1: Yes, he learns through this this character, Frank, who's a Native American, who's a total outcast and outsider. And he's one of these sort of mythical characters from the town of like, he'll kill you. Don't go on his property. He'll kill you. He's you know this dangerous, dangerous man. And Theo has this unlikely encounter with him And it is through Frank that Theo learns that he has the capacity to heal through these mangled hands. And it a is, first it's a baby bird, and then it goes on to people. And ultimately, Theo, you know, this is Bible Belt 1968, and ultimately Theo is cast out by the church,
0: all right, wait. Don't tell us too much about what happens. I in this want to tell
1: too much, but I just want to say that this story of this child with this gift mm-hmm. is becomes epic. And, honey, Vicky, you haven't even gotten to where this is going to go. Oh. It gets very, very large, very large, and characters who you think you love right now make little turns. Oh. So,
0: so Sam, where did this aspect of the story? How did this come to you? This aspect of healing. What brought that? Was it just like God given? Did it just did it just hit you, or did you channel it? Did you choose it? Did it choose you? What happened?
1: I would say that on a basic level, mm-hmm. uh, Theo is an outsider. Mm-hmm. a misfit, as was I. Mm-hmm. And Theo has this gift, mm-hmm. which makes his, him more than different, it makes him special, rather than just being different. Mm-hmm. And so...
0: That's so much your story, oh my god.
1: It's me- my, that's my story, that I wasn't only different, I wasn't, I was special, not different, because I had a gift. That I learned to use and express myself and escape into. But I will tell you this, but I will not tell you this, okay. which is there are some personal uh, things that I promised myself, my husband, and my literary agent <laughs> that I would never, ever share. But just let's just say that this story is close to home.
0: I, I had a feeling that was so. So, so the, the healing gift is a metaphor for your gift of, your, your gift of, of voice. I
1: suppose. I mean, I, in the, it's, I hate to even think of it as a metaphor because this is a very- Straightforward. It's very real for him. Uh, it's very real. And I think that all of us, no matter how jaded and, and grounded we are, mm-hmm. I, I like to think that all of us believe in the possibility at the very least of the power of human touch.
0: Okay, which goes back to where we started this conversation and you were saying, okay, all you babies, stop whining about the fact that you can touch. But let me tell you something, Sam. It's a big deal. They, they did studies on babies and they took away their food and another set of babies, they took away human touch and the babies survived longer without food than they did without human touch. I, mean,
1: I understand, it's I believe
0: that. essential. And so for someone like me, four months, four months. So my boyfriend bought body bag, human sized body bags, plastic bags, and I get inside the body bag so that I can hug my son and my boyfriend. That's how important it is.
1: It is, and as you know from the book, this other story of Theo as an adult, with this woman who is unnamed, who yeah. is in therapy, and she has an actual—now remember—I started writing this four years ago. This wasn't oh, this was okay. way, way pre-COVID. Right. She has an actual phobia about being touched. It actually hurts her physically when she is touched. It's a real—it's a real thing. It's called half a phobia.
0: Did you ever see David and Lisa? The movie. Did well there was a play in a movie and it was uh it was um oh my god i just his name just escaped me oh my god i love the movie but it, he he couldn't be david couldn't be touched that was what it was.
1: i think i read it in high school and yeah. i don't even remember it um he but had that. She, she cannot be touched and theo the adult has very much isolated himself and is very very far from any sort of human uh interaction and so there are themes certainly of isolation and she talks about it. It's so funny when I read it now, which since I wrote all this pre-COVID, it was like, you know, it's very easy to exist in the world without any real human contact. You call Amazon, you call this, you call takeout, you know, you don't have, she goes, it's, you really don't have to touch anybody. Um, trying to justify her, you know, her condition. right? But um, so there is a timeliness to that certainly.
0: Tremendously, it could not have dropped at a better, at a more advantageous time for t- telling this story, this particular story. Very powerful.
1: I and mean, I got you. You're halfway through, but this woman. It's interesting because I've had a couple of people who've asked me, as a man, because she is a broken, broken, damaged woman. Mm-hmm. But you know what, Vicky? She is not. There's no self pity in her. She no. is, not. oh my God, this no. is, she is actually, to a dangerous degree, defiant. She goes, I just want to get it done. I, you know, she is, does not lend herself to being any kind of a victim, but she has supremely been victimized mm-hmm. to a harrowing degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some people have said, like, you're a man, how did you write this? And it was scary for me because as a man, there are certain things, because it's, we're talking about sexual abuse. I'm not giving too much up that. How dare I, you know, how could I possibly know? But I, and I don't know. It's like, I just knew her and I found her. I certainly did talk to people and women to Mm -hmm. make sure that I was in the right direction and that it it, uh, reflected some of this because I didn't. I didn't want this woman's experience to be typical. I wanted, I wanted to bring it, her, 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 serious, her thing is really messed up oh. because it's not like, oh, I was locked in the basement for six years and I was fed through a straw and then he raped me. It's not like that, it's much more complicated and much more confusing for her. So anyway, I did ask women, I did talk to women and asked them to read passages and a couple of women who had that kind of experience themselves. So when I when I finally had this, you know, this last edit, I felt comfortable and confident that I have depicted this to uh, the greatest degree that I can.
0: She's one hundred percent believable, empathetic. Um, uh, I never feel like I'm hearing her through a man's voice. Good. And someone who has written many men through my, right. um, I, I think there's something about channeling, like if you just get into your mind and you re-hear, you replay a conversation, even one that didn't happen, but you just yeah. really get into those two people having a conversation and right. you get real, and you don't try to write to be pretty and you don't try to write for effect, you just no. real conversation. And that's what you did,
1: very well, much. Thank you. And you know what's the great joy of, I think, writing something that feels like it's, you know, what I was saying is sort of where it's gonna take you. Mm-hmm. And I know you totally get this, because I know you and your personality and your belief and your philosophy. And so it may sound corny to somebody else, but sometimes I would write so furiously, and I'm a really fast typer. Mm-hmm. And I would write, and then I would read it later and think, oh, I don't remember writing that. I didn't know that happened. I thought oh, that's what happened because it just kind of goes. And I'm not saying it's any like, oh my God, I've had odds. It's not that. It's just when you're in your thing and the character starts to write themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's such a joyous, painful experience.
0: You know, there are a lot of, uh, quite a few writers that watch this. And I wanted to ask you just about process because you said that you wrote the whole story first just the first part and then you incorporated. Now I did something like this in my edit of my book. My book weaves through time and it goes back and forth. In right,
1: right, right.
0: So when you wrote the second part, did you write it in a linear fashion or did you write it, did you stick it in as you were writing? Well, how did you do it? What did you do?
1: I wrote it in a linear fashion. Okay. Because I had written the first part, I knew, okay, I'm going to tell the audience here, It is through this adult Theo's work as a therapist with this woman that he has the courage to revisit the summer that haunts him, that changed his life and thought he had irreparably been damaged by this incident. It really changed him. And so he makes, he's at this impasse and he makes this sort of uh, promise to himself that he's gonna delve into this, but he's a therapist and he thinks I can sum it up, boom, boom, boom. It is through his work with this woman that he has his own courage to actually investigate and feel and go through what he went through because he is leading through her, through her process. So to answer your question, I wrote it linearly, but I remember, I remember I knew that I knew his story. Right. So it came as a way to interweave but also then reinform the first story it made the first story richer but there was a point vicky i will admit that my dining room table was filled with <laughs> tiny <laughs> little pieces of paper like a puzzle piece and went, no this goes here no this relates to this no i need to rewrite this it was scary it was like this crazy there were like you know 70 pieces of little paper of information of trying to figure it in and then what do i have to write to weave this in
0: yeah. Well, you did it brilliantly. I, I'm, I'm halfway through. I don't know where you're going and I don't know what I'm going to get. But uh, so far, I am. Uh, Just wait,
1: baby. Just wait.
0: I was going to say that I want to wait until you send me a physical copy signed so that I can hold it in my hands. But I won't be able to because I want to finish it because I want to read it. And I Thank also well, Sam love told me I, I was going to after Sam and I did a little tech run through, Sam went to shower and I said, all right, I'm gonna get back to the book and you said, and I'm gonna read through. And you said, don't, you know, I want you to savor it. And I do wanna savor it. I don't wanna plow through it. I wanna no. take my time with it.
1: No, yeah. I know For myself, cause I love, I love words. I love mm. words. And when I'm reading a book, you know, if the story, even from the beginning is great, but the language is not beautiful, mm-hmm. I will, I stop reading. If the language is beautiful in a book and the story takes a minute to get started, I'll go through the language to get there. It's all about language and depiction and description and placing myself in that environment and in that character. And so that's why I don't want you to rush through it because you have to answer something. I want you to savor it and think, oh, I have time to reread that sentence. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm.
0: And it's interesting, Sam, because I'm not really into descriptive writing. I- I'm very much into story and character. Give me story and character. Stephen King's like one of my favorite people. I was going to say you love Stephen King. This is this is very much a Stephen King book, as far as I'm concerned. I'm, uh, I'm I'm trying to think of the one. Well, the one with Drew. The one where the she has a power. There's one where the little girl has a power. This also reminds me a bit of. Um, um, uh, oh my God! I just lost my train of thought. Um, oh God, it'll come back to me. It reminded me of another story that it, it, it's completely unique to itself. But anyway, um, I'm not really into descriptive passages and flower. And Stephen King says in On Writing, if you've written a descriptive passage, throw it out. And you know, I had just written my first when I was writing my book, and I threw it out. But but your but but when somebody does it with 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 craft. This is my point. I don't write descriptive passages, I but I write, I hope, with craft. Every no. word is chosen. There Absolutely. are no accidents. There are no mistakes. I suffer every word, whether I'm writing a Facebook post, a, a Huffington Post article, or a book. Every word is
1: thought. And, and punctuation. Oh. I'm a punctuation oh. freak because I love these little marks that tell you where to think and where to breathe and where to pause and where to laugh. And it's just all, and also I think as a musician, there are rhythms to sentences and words. And sometimes the actual number of syllables in something affects the rhythm of the sentence. It is a craft. Now I am into descriptive writing as long as it's not belabored. Right. Like since you probably hated or would hate, where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, which is a huge, huge six million copies, whatever. And the language is so beautiful, mm. so beautiful. The story is wonderful too, and it's smart. And then in the last third, it's like, all right, already, I know what the foliage looks like. Yeah. So, I can not do those books. But see, like, I'm a, like, I'm a big, I love William Faulkner. I love John Irving. I love books that. Me in those places and let me take the time to be there while still moving me forward.
0: I, I agree with that. I, I can't believe what you said about the rhythm and the punctuation. That's the whole prologue of my book that wasn't going to get in there. The, the my author's note and Carl Reiner who published my book. The only reason that why it ended up in there is because he fought for it. He said yes because it's all about that. It's about controlling how the reader. Reads by how I punctuate and how I move the rhythm, and I have fought with every editor I have ever worked with over this because they don't like dot dot dot, and they don't like a dash, and they don't like that stuff. It's all punctually correct, but they don't like it. But I like. Mine isn't.
1: Mine is not grammatically correct. I had an interview yesterday. Someone (laughs) who said, "What about the Oxford (laughs) comma?" And I said, "I know all that shit." And I, once you learn the rules, you can break them because it's about rhythm. I'll tell you what, I, I, uh, I've never, and I love, I know people love Audible. I know people love audiobooks, and I get it. Um, I've never done it. Last night I did it for the first time and I put it in my ears in bed and I'm listening to this woman read this book that everyone loves, The Nightingale, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to do it to go to sleep you know, to like take myself to that other place because that's when I read. I can't do it. I can't do it. I need to have my own experience reading that book and looking at those words and how they affect me and create my rhythm for how I read. And so with all due respect to this reader, who I'm sure is just fantastic at her job, I need to read the, the card copy, you know? i to say that my audio book when I do it won't be riveting. Because they'll be the author reading it and not some hired person.
0: I did my own. And, uh, I did mine for
1: him. I did mine.
0: i well, still prefer people to hold the book in their hand and have their own experience. They have my experience when they. But and that's I,
1: because you wrote it, though, Vicki. Yeah. You're yeah. the author, so you know the rhythm of it. In this case, someone was hired to read yeah. the. I don't know. It was different for me. Anyway. Yeah.
0: I don't like that either. So, Sam, let. so I see. That you have, that you just sold a television show. What the hell is going on with this?
1: Oh my God, I'm so exhausted. Um, I'm I
0: exhausted with your life.
1: I sold a show called "The Astounding Fall and Rise of Lydia Feldman" to E One Entertainment and Mark Gordon, who is the producer of Grey's Anat- excuse me, Gray's Anatomy and Ray Donovan and oh like, all these marvelous television shows. And um, it's really funny, and it's about this a- agent who has been in a coma. She was like a Sumanger's, like hard ass, nineteen eighties and nineties, completely politically incorrect, brash.
0: Is this? Is this Linda? Huh? Is this Linda? Linda who? Linda. Um. Oh my God, Lavin. Is this Linda Lavin's character? No.
1: You mean could she play this?
0: Well, She's doing a character now on Instagram that is kind oh, of. Oh, I have seen described.
1: it. I don't know anything about it. Okay. Um. Anyway, no, I play her.
0: Oh my! Oh my God!
1: <laughs> not with the. Her name is Lydia Feldman, and she's always smoking or vaping, and she's <laughs> completely politically incorrect. And this is not drag. It's not any of that. I just play her. Um. Anyway. Um. So now she's been in this coma, she comes back as this, from this power agent, and now the whole culture has changed, the PC has changed, most of her clients are dead, mostly from suicide. <laughs> <And> she, <laughs> she's got Heath Ledger and Philip Seymour oh Hoffman. Anyway, um, so here's what happened though. So here we are, we're rolling, rolling, getting ready to go, and then COVID hits. So now we have retooled it for COVID. I just did a whole new treatment in which I called friends of mine who are celebrities and did Zoom calls between Lydia and them because now we're trying to do this interim because who knows when really things are gonna come back. So that COVID stopped it in its tracks, but you know me, I'm a scrapper and and, um, everybody's excited. So we're doing this sort of interim version to then get to series.
0: So are you going to put it on the Internet in the meantime? As
1: no, 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 no. It'll
0: be on TV, even though it's. Well, uh, yes,
1: now we're retooling. So all the plans that were initially set for a season are have been changed and postponed. And now we're doing this version to get us there. Um, so, you know, it's all up in the air, Vicki. It's all crazy right now.
0: I love that you're pushing through, though, and I love that you're continuing and not being stopped by it because so many people are just stopped in their tracks.
1: You and- can't be. Life throws you a curve. And Ham, you know, my movie of Ham, we we have a distributor now, and we're... It's like all these three things. You know how everything goes like this, right? Where it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, nothing is happening. Right now, between the book being dropped and Lydia... Being retooled and going and Ham now having a distributor, which I believe I believe Ham will be on the air by the end of the year. So um,
0: how is that going to happen? Is it going to be?
1: It'll I, be it I, would be streaming. It would be streaming on a major streaming service.
0: I was at the premiere. I know. And I know firsthand how wonderful
1: it is. Yes, um,
0: so, so so it'll yes. be streaming. So that's something you can do during COVID. Clearly.
1: Yeah, these are all projects that you know I'm I'm doing at the same time. It's so funny because, and you know this, because the book just—it's not a CD, you know—it's not a, a sitcom that somebody did the premiere episode. This is a book. It takes people time to read. I'm a I'm a I'm a good reader, and I read constantly. Yeah. I can still take a week to get through a book, right? I can right. still read it at night or when I have time. Right. And so the book, you know. Oh, dropped on July 1st so people started to receive it the 3rd the 4th the 5th here we are the 8th we're already getting these beautiful beautiful customer reviews really beautiful like that touch my heart because it's my baby but the thing is and know I will admit I'm on there every day did somebody else like me did yeah. somebody like my book did somebody <laughs> else like my book I can't help it I've never been one of the- those See, actors. she said
0: five years later and I still do that I still go and look right because there's still new reviews from you know I still go and look who bought the book today
1: what's going on I still do well, it because it's so personal and more than anything I've done and I've really been lucky and that I've been able to write for a different medium and as an actor and a singer and different things. and this this the substance of all things is the most personal work I've ever done it's definitely my best writing.
0: Your right, the writing is magnificent. Okay, since we're here, yeah, did you pick out a couple pages to read to us.
1: Oh yes, you this mentioned.
0: is a perfect time. Let's do that.
1: Okay, this is hard, isn't it? Right to choose something. It is I'm hard. You, I'm gonna read you. I'm gonna read you the prologue.
0: Okay, that's perfect.
1: Everything that came forever after was determined by my father's split second decision to swerve. Only a moment before it happened, there had been a kind of affectionate silliness and anxious laughter, his half hiccuping and hers tinkling and soft and nervous. Then the flash of the animal in fleeting light, solid and fixed, Blurred by the downpour and the futile zigzag of windshield wipers, the eternity of the moment, knowing nothing can be done. There should be a way to stop time when these things happen. Pull a lever, flip a switch. The crash was relentless. The skidding, flipping, cartwheeling, the crushing of glass and metal mixed with the brittle snapping of my bones. I was flying through the air, my body flimsy and unmuscled, slammed and jolted, the foolish attempt to grab onto anything, the ripping away of every feeling of safety I'd ever known, then absolute stillness. I assumed I was dead. Then I felt my heart strike against my chest. The only reason I'm alive right now is because death hasn't found me yet. It was quiet, but for the static chatter of the rain, shouldn't someone be moaning or calling out? Shouldn't I be calling out? My eyelids fluttered to see steam rise, a fist of gray smoke in the red hue stretching out over the grassland. A constellation of shattered glass glistened across the dashboard in the moonlight, then a sudden spewing, a hissing of air, something trying to escape. I have to escape. I tried to pull myself up, but my hands were numb, limp. Just as I began to sense the sweat that covered me, I felt a pull at my foot, then a hand, a cold hand wrapping around my ankle, fingernails cutting into me. I heard short gusts of breath and I felt her swollen belly beneath me. How can she be under me? Theo, are you okay? I don't know. Can you get out? I don't know. George. Nothing. Help me, Theo. I don't know how. Try. You can do it, honey. You're my big boy. Try. A low aching pulse spread through my useless wrists, and I climbed up with my elbows and twisted my body sideways and over her so that I could crawl through the broken window snagged by the frame of jagged glass. I fell to the muddy ground with a thud and lay there a minute, 10 minutes, 20. The metallic taste of blood thickened in my mouth like a rancid paste. At some point I have to move. Can you walk? I think so. Run, Theo, she said, run and get help. The baby's coming. That's the first part of the prologue.
0: First of all, I don't like audiobooks. I'm getting your audiobook. <laughs> you
1: know, first, I, I, I wanted to read the second. It's only another page of the second okay. part of the prologue. Should I All do right.
0: it? Yes, but I just want to tell you, you know, I'm having my own experience now because I'm reading it first. Then I want to have your experience because that reading was spectacular. I have goosebumps down my arms. It was spectacular, Sam. I love it. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Give
1: us a page. Yes, yes. yes, Page and a half. Okay, yes. so right after that, when she says the baby's coming. As an adult, I've learned to take my painful memories and put them in a box alongside old photographs and forgotten keepsakes tucked away on a high shelf and out of reach. It's not that there's any point in remembering, again, any of it. Things happen, I know that. I've become expert at at it. I can look at the facts, compartmentalize, assess, accept, and move on. The misfortune of that November night in 1961 is safely locked away, only rarely peeking out in sepia tones. There was no way to know that that night was just a prelude to the summer six years later that would change everything once more. I thought that I'd put that behind me as well. What other choice was there if one is to live a full life and a contented life? But now, these decades later, I find myself at an insurmountable impasse, unfulfilled and discontent, and I am there again. It's the last thing I need now, these recollections, hovering, loitering, hanging on me in fragments like a movie out of sequence, always in color. These cunning thoughts creep into my head like rampant vines, and I and I want to put them back in the box where they belong, but they no longer fit. And so with some mishmash of apprehension and determination, I decided to open it fully and write it all down. I hope that this, what shall I call it, project, documentation, literary map, will finally make sense of the persistent angst that has slithered back into my brain. This process begins today. I sit alone in silence, waiting for the appointment, tapping my crooked fingers on nothing as if playing a clumsy piano concerto in the air. I look around the room and can't help but chuckle to myself. If an organized environment is the sign of an organized life, a sense of function and sanity, the therapist who inhabits this office must surely be stark raving mad. Laminated diplomas and certificates hang crookedly against walls the color of cigarette ash. Two cheap looking wood veneer bookcases stand side by side, the shelves empty but for a slackly stacked pile of unopened mail, a VCR wrapped in RCA jacks, and a worn black leather briefcase sitting atop, bridging the two bookcases like a choice. Busy looking papers are strewn across a walnut desk that is covered by a layer of dust interrupted by finger tracks like a white glove test never followed through. And to the side of a Queen Anne chair is a metal-based contraption supporting two glass shelves and two adjustable chrome arms bracing two iPads that could be swung in and out of position. An apple tree. A respectful knock sounds on the hollow door, and I know it's time for my next client.
0: It's beautiful writing. It's uh, Again, you had a thing with Oh, God, I can't remember the line now, but it was joining two things as if they did uh,
1: Right, uh, as if it was a choice. Bridging and, the basis as if it was a choice.
0: I love these kinds of sentences. Uh, I, this is just beautiful, Sam. Uh, it's just wonderful. Uh, yeah. Beautifully crafted. And um, I the- can't wait for you, as
1: my friend, to get to the third act. <laughs>
0: Well, it won't take me long. That's sure. and I hate reading on my computer. I hate it. I, I know,
1: hate it. I know, me too.
0: You know, there's there's nothing like.
1: Uh, I do my Kindle. I'm learning to use my Kindle more. I'm learning. I prefer. I'm tactile. I like it in my hands. Right. I don't find the Kindle reading on my computer not easy for me.
0: Yeah, I, I have to. That's. I have the PDF. I don't have yeah, it.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. So,
0: no, that's okay. I mean, I'm I'm grateful to to be reading it. I'm happy to be reading it. So there's that. But what what an experience. So, oh boy. Well, I think that I, I'm, I'm reading the thread as, we're, as, as you were reading, I was kind of glancing over to what people are saying. I think I say. there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna be, uh, should we read some comments? People, if you, have, if you have questions for Sam, now would be a good time to ask them. I'm just gonna go back and read some of the stuff people have been saying till now. Um yes uh, Toba, you can get Sam's book on Amazon and the link is in my description of this show and it will be in the 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 post um promotion
1: of all things amazon.com there you go Sam there you go.
0: and um and it'll be uh, I'll be giving the link on this show uh thread afterwards and it's in the the promo thing um, I just had to look up a pic that I took with Sam at Women Who Write several years ago. He's so nice and so talented. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, wait, I'm trying to find. Uh, people are just high, high, high. Um, hi, hi, hi. Everybody's saying hello. Uh, somebody's saying, please just one. Oh, Kier Duley played David. Thank you. In David and Lisa, it was Kier Dulé. Oh. oh. I had such a crush on him, even though he was very nuts. But that I liked nuts guys. That was my thing. Uh, Toba says I just bought the book. Um, Yay! Firestarter was the Stephen King one that I was trying to think of of the young girl. And by the way, the other one that it reminds me of, not in the it not in um, in 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 the character, but in the situation with Frank, it reminds me a little teeny bit of The Shining with Danny and his relationship with um, Scatman Crothers, Cruthers whatever his character's name is oh, right yeah. he has this guy who who brings out the shine in him and who he's not a broke he's not a he's not a castaway but he's not the same kind of right. they're different Brandon
1: but Danny is an outcast he's he's native american he lives in a trailer outside of town he's ostracized by the town they're right. him having killed a soldier he uh he's that mysterious uh, character that you don't go into their yard because they will kill you. Right. And the first time that Theo meets him, it's because he's been chased by bullies after church, of course, and he's been chased by bullies and he seeks refuge and finds and climbs a tree because he didn't have anywhere else to go. And he climbs this tree with his clawed hands and, Frank comes out and shoots a gun and tells the motherfucker kids to get away, and he and Theo is afraid he's going to be killed, and the man puts a you know he fills his bandana with ice to help Theo's ankle that he and uh, something happens that that Frank recognizes oh my yeah he has this this gift, but Frank even though he's this mentor. And this wise, wise man, he says things in it that, that are about about situations and tragedies, even in our lives, and about whether we let them define us or inform us, and about doing your part, and the other, what happens after is not your business. He brings all these things to Theo about the because Theo is 12 years old and he has the burden of this gift, gift. but. Frank is no perfection either. And you will see, Vicki, as you go on, Frank has his, the stuff that he's not said yes to, the things that he doesn't necessarily always practice what he preaches. Ah. Um, because guess what, honey, it ain't black and white. There's a line in the very near the end of the book that says, nothing is good and bad. Nothing is black and white. Everything is gray, like fog, and fog is hard to see through.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: Because none of us, you can't do it. We all live in the middle.
0: Did you have a Frank in your life?
1: Yes. I uh, I had a mentor that was spoken about in Ham, the book and the movie, who was my director and writer. And he's the person, his name was Jerry Black. He died in 89. And he was the person who empowered me and talked about and taught me about my authenticity on the stage and in my work. Um, But there was also a a person, God damn it, I said I wasn't gonna do this. Um, There was a person person named, literally named Frank,
0: Ah.
1: that was not a big part of my life, but he's someone who affected me greatly and led me to parts of myself that I didn't know. That's all I can say. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. I feel like the first guy you just referenced uh, was in Ham, was a character in Ham, yes?
1: Yes, he was.
0: Yeah. Very much. Yes. Okay. So I get that. Frank is a mystery. Um, maybe a mystery. I'm, I'm feeling that I there's a little awareness inside of me that's brewing. I don't know what it's about. Adam Chester is saying something. He said, "Oh no, I loved Sam and he hated me." Do you know Adam Chester? He's the uh, the um, surrogate Elton John. He 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 does Elton at at rehearsals and he readies the band for Elton. He's he's amazing. Why did he
1: say I don't like him? I
0: don't know. He said I was hired to play a celebrity party years ago. No one told me who it was for. Big secret got there and an hour in Liza Minnelli walks in with Sam. I was thrilled but shocked because I didn't know how to play any show tunes or anything Liza would have liked. I think Sam threw up. I felt terrible, never got to apologize to him or the host, but I was told bupkis. Do you remember that?
1: I threw up, I didn't throw up. What does that mean?
0: I don't know. I, I, I think he just means that you thought it was horrible. Did, did you remember? Well, first of all,
1: I can tell you, Chester, his name is?
0: Adam, Adam Chester.
1: Adam, I have never, ever, ever acted out on anyone or any pianist or any musician ever in my life unless they have been working for me and they fuck up. But, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> <laughs> but if I just met you and you didn't know something, I would never be mad at you. I would never do that. I just it's not in my it's not in my no, he's not saying
0: that you were mad. He was just saying that you hated. Him. I, I guess he wasn't what everybody wanted to be there that day. So um, oh, he's he you
1: felt like a schmuck. You exactly. felt, You yeah. felt guilty. Well, yes you know what, get over it. Because I'm sure that you're, t- first of all, did we ask for the Elton John catalog? Did we not? <laughs> we did not. Did we ask to sing any of his songs? No, here's what you should have done. You should have given us a list. Like I can play Benny and the Jets. I can play <laughs> by Yellow Big He plays everything. He I plays everything. one to sing. He
0: plays, and he doesn't just play Elton. I mean, he's very talented. He has a thing called uh, quarantella. That he did these whole concerts every Saturday outside to raise money for charity during the quarantine. He's he's a wonderful musician and has done wonderful things. And if you met him now, you would adore him and you would he, you would be great friends.
1: I bet so, I adored him then.
0: I'm sure you did. I'm sure this is own, I'm sure this is his own mishigas. But it, I'm sure it was more about Liza and not being able to play show tunes for Liza to sing to was probably much more. His you don't
1: know and Neb. You need to leave the room. <laughs>
0: So, okay. So let's talk about Liza. Let's talk about, you've had some, you have some incredible friends. You've had some incredible relationships. Is it, was it, is it surreal for you that you've gotten to live this life surrounded by people that were once heroes that have become beloved friends and part of your life? And um, as a little boy in Oklahoma, was the dream to be part of this
1: Well, I'll tell you, I feel fortunate. I've never been as impressed with my contemporaries as I have been with the people who uh, inspired and informed me. So I happen to be in a generation um, where I got to meet and be influenced and even become friends with some and work with the people who influenced me most because I am old enough to, like Lucille Ball, I mean, she literally affected my timing on everything and my physical comedy and all the stuff I've done. And then when I was quite young in my 20s, she I'd learned that she was a fan and she asked me to sing at this thing tributing her. And then we had lunch. It was things like that. It was it was Sammy Davis, Jr., who I idolized, who I saw perform when I was 10 years old who said, you are one of us, oh my I mean, it was things like that. And so I was always, I'd rather have lunch with Elizabeth Taylor than Madonna. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So even though I was this kid, the people that affected me were, uh, by the way, can I just move to another subject along sure. the same lines? I get so pissed off when I'm like, cause I love teaching masterclasses and I love new talent. I just love it so much. But when somebody says, I'll make a reference to something music or whatever. Well, I wasn't born then. Well, that was before I was, and I'm like, you know what? I wasn't born when Charlie Charlie Chaplin was doing movies, but I know his work, but I learned from his work. I wasn't born when such and such, but I read about it, but I saw the movie, but I I didn't know Billie Holiday was before my time, but I lived by her when I was 12 years old. So I hate that. We had this library of great artists and these contemporary youngsters who are saying like, oh, if it's before Taylor Swift, I just don't know.
0: Okay, but so I- now I have a question for you in real life. So Cooper, yeah. do you have an appreciation of the things that came before?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Because I want to tell you my <laughs> kids, they don't want to watch black and white movies. They don't want to listen to, I'm sorry, but can't do it. They won't go
1: there. You know what though, and I hate to say this about my own child because he's brilliant, wonderful, wonderful child. But his art is not the same as my art. He expresses himself in different ways. I'm talking about the people who do, who perceive themselves as artists, writers, actors, musicians, and do not do their homework, and do are not interested in the past. My kid is like this great. Right? He's smart. He's Funny, you know what? He doesn't know those things. He's only twelve, but he knows who. I mean, I have shown him early. He does know I Love Lucy. He does know physical comedy. He does know a dryness. I mean, yes, he would rather watch, you know, Tammy, right, the McCarthy, than you know, whatever some 40s movie that I loved. See, that was me. I was the anomaly. My husband always says that to me. He said, "You're the freak, Sam. You're the anomaly." Because I, you
0: More I of us were freaks back in the day though. I mean, because when I was a kid, I watched movies from from the 40s and you know, yeah, we watched old stuff. I don't know why, but we did.
1: Well, and- maybe because the only thing on television was on Saturdays
0: million dollar movie.
1: was like, you know, uh Meet Me in St. Louis. It was
0: <laughs> maybe. There wasn't um, much. By the way, Adam Chester says he feels better better already, and he said he just purchased 20 copies of your book. Twenty. And he asked if you would maybe you'll do his next quarantella.
1: I tell him to contact me through you and we'll figure out what that is.
0: I think that's really lovely though. No, well,
1: thank you, Adam. I so apologize. If, if healing, you,
0: healing is happening even as we. Healing see. is
1: happening. Throw in a little Theo. A <laughs> the
0: little Theo. So okay, so so let's talk about Ham a little bit. Well, wait. Do we? Before we get to Ham, we have to talk about Star Search for a moment. For people that haven't seen other interviews with you, that are new to you somehow, that they're new to this planet, I don't know, they're five years old. I don't know. Ah, so, ah. so you're a little kid in Oklahoma. You have a dream. You're a boy with a dream. You're watching. You're watching these classic, who were your musical heroes when you were um, a boy? Well, like
1: I said, Billie Holiday. Yeah. People thought I was insane. I mean, not people, I didn't even tell anybody. Oh, my was Jr. I would sit in my room and listen to these records and just weep. <laughs> and, you know, I was very dramatic. But it was, no. it was- <laughs> but it was also just because I found Here's the weird thing other than Aretha Franklin, who I worshiped, most of my most of the people that I loved were not great vocalists. Ah, they were great storytellers, mm-hmm. and that's what I hope to that's how I perceive myself. Yes, I happen are. to have been fortunate to have been given a muscular gift where I can sing the notes I hear in my head, right? But
0: can you give us an example of somebody who's a great storyteller but not necessarily a great singer?
1: Tom Waits.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Edith Piaf. Mm,
0: interesting.
1: Um, Billy Holiday. Yes, she moves you from her voice, but she's got six good notes. Really? You know I what? I mean? She's
0: a great singer. Wow.
1: She's a great singer because she moves you. Mm. God bless the child. Yeah, there's nothing really, you know. I'm talking about like raw.
0: But what about like Frank? Because
1: Frank. Frank- He's
0: probably, he's like the greatest interpreter of, of of song of anybody I've ever heard. Now I don't think about his instrument. I mean, I love his instrument. His
1: instrument was smooth and beautiful and wonderful. Um, I'll be honest, I feel like he's the greatest, he had the greatest phrasing I've ever heard.
0: Absolutely. And he
1: never made me cry. Really? Never made me cry. I mean, look, okay, let's go to the obvious. Oh, wow. Judy Garland. Now it's the typical gay thing, but when I was two years old, three years old, three years old, her show was on TV. And yes. my mother tells that when she was on and singing, I would get very upset if anyone spoke or moved during that. <laughs> I to her at three. Now is that because I'm gay? maybe but it's maybe but it's also because i there is a cry i mean mm-hmm. i'll tell you something singing is not easy for me <laughs> it's not easy for me how so it's very hard for me to get on stage <clears throat> i am terrified every single time i say to myself almost every single time why am I doing this? Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I torturing myself? Don't do it. Oh, wow. To a, to a tragic degree, to the point that my music director of almost 30 years, Todd Schroeder- He's amazing. Is, he's amazing, is the person who kind of sets me straight. It is so horrifying to me. And I've been doing this a very, very long time. Yes. When I step on the stage, I have a great time and I'm full of joy. Getting me there is very hard. And I think it's less about my fear of hitting the note than it is about knowing, I've never thought this before. You do this to me. <laughs> because I think it's knowing what I'm gonna have to do to feel that I did my job, which is go to places I, I don't necessarily want to go to relive things I don't necessarily want to relive. And uh, I think that's terrifying for me. Mm-hmm. Now, once I'm there, I have no problem. I'm totally transparent on stage. My husband always says, if I want to know what's going on in your life, I'll come see one of your shows. Because <laughs> I don't share things in my real life. But I really just think I character. I think I realized that I'm less afraid of whether I'm going to be able to do it then what i have to do i don't phone shit in you know what i mean
0: no you do not okay so now if this is if since this is the case that i didn't i don't know that i knew this before how the hell did you get yourself to do star search that seems like it would be the most terrifying thing no,
1: darling when we're 22 years old <laughs> ignorance is bliss <laughs> now, of course i was terrified oh but, my god but there is a Moxie and a, and also remember that I didn't know I was a no one. I was a nobody. I didn't have anything to live up to. So right. when that started happening, and and you know it was I had been doing it for four or five weeks before it ever aired because we were taping in advance. So right. I feel this crazy response, and then they just empowered me. I but mean, yes, yeah, when
0: you got to the final, you were already a national sensation.
1: Yes, yes. So yes, there was pressure because it was a, a competition. Right. But it was also remember that this is a kid who was like, at the time I was playing this little theater, 50 seat theater on Santa Monica Boulevard called Theater Theater. And I was doing my show called Out of Control with three backup singers called the International Pancakes. And we had this <laughs> I had a following and different publications have written about this crazy kid with a following. Um, but I was just, I'm so driven and so neat. I used to drive around parking lots of grocery stores and sing out my window so people <laughs> could hear me. So I was, you know what I mean? It's different when you're 22 and 18 or 16. Yeah. And, so, and so when this happened, as much as it was scary, remember that all of a sudden I was getting the platform the stage to say, here I am, here I am. Listen to me. Listen to me. So that completely overrode any kind of uh, fear I had.
0: So how, Sam, so you win Star Search. How in that those next moments did your life change? How did it take you to broad? How did things progress from Star Search? What happened there? And what was the time frame of your life transforming?
1: Well, as you said, television is an incredible medium. And at that time, there were a lot fewer channels. So we had an audience of 25 million people a week, which is unheard of now. Oh, my God. Um, Unheard of. So my life literally turned upside down where I, you know, all of a sudden, I, anytime I went outside, I was recognized. I remember I went to Disneyland with two friends and we had to run from people. It was like, like I felt like I was the Beatles, you know what I mean? Wow. And then, you know, all of a sudden I was playing Carnegie Hall and I was touring and then I had a big record company and and all of that stuff was happening. And it was thrilling and it was scary because, you know, any, any young person who achieves some sort of fame early will tell you, you can't, they don't teach you the business. They don't teach you how to deal with it. So I had a few people who reminded me that I was still a schmuck like I was before and to not get too full of myself. And then I also was very, very, had a lot of bravado about what my terms were. And um, I think I benefited and suffered for that. And Um, then years went on, I was doing this, I was playing that, then Broadway, I love the theater. I'm really a theater person yeah. I love being in the studio. I love writing songs. I love creating. But give me a rehearsal hall, a stage, and daddy's home.
0: Yeah, I, I, I get it. You know, some people often say to me, well, you know, what do you prefer? Do you prefer hosting, writing? You know, what is, but I feel like they all feed each other. Like you Absolutely. can't take one out of the other. Like, you're stuff. always the writer, you're always the artist, you're always the performer, well, no matter what you're doing, all of those things are there,
1: sort yeah. of, right? I, when I've been asked that, and this is the truth, what do you like most? Do you like writing, do you like acting, do you like singing, do you like directing? And I'm like, whatever I'm doing at the time is what I like most. Whatever I'm doing, if I'm writing, that's all I want to be. And when I say a rehearsal hall, Vicki, I could live in a rehearsal hall. Wow. Nothing would make me happier than to just keep working and failing and trying and experimenting and and I prefer that to the actual show. Although then that becomes a different kind of rehearsal because you're still trying to make it better and do I don't think I've ever had a performance that I thought, oh that was it. You but know wait a
0: minute, but what but you don't have the audience there. Isn't that the the rush from the audience part of the
1: comedy. Um for comedy for sure. And Mm -hmm. I do a lot of comedy, as you know, Mm -hmm. and that is a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess just exploring, building things, uh, whether I'm in a show and I'm dealing with other company members, just experimenting and the freedom to fail. Mm -hmm. The freedom to fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's, that's also, I think, something that's changed in our culture too. I think there are a lot less little, I mean, I went to every freaking dump and dive, nasty little club to discover who I was and who my persona was and how I sang. And now these people are watching American Idol and The Voice and the whatever, and the who and the ha, and they think, oh, if I sing in my shower. No, it's a, you have to find yourself. You have to fail. Mm -hmm. You have to be there before you get to that kind of national platform. The reason that came together for me at that time in my life is because I did know who I was. I did know what my persona was. I did know even how funky and messed up as it was how I looked. And I did know, I did have a repertoire. And then the timing of that came in. You know, I think success comes from craft and timing meeting at the same place, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, there are people who've done it far better than I in many, many different ways. And so it's an individual route. How
0: your parents, let's talk about when you were a kid and you had the your mother saw you having this response watching Judy Garland on TV. Did they encourage you? Did were they behind you? Did they want you to do something else? What was that like for you? Um <clears throat>
1: they encouraged me
0: your voice cracked when you went there by the way i'm yeah. just telling you
1: they encouraged me my father was a musician he was a band director so mm-hmm. he loved music my mother was a frustrated actress um never professionally but just loved it and loved literature and so they encouraged it but my father it was a, a bit of a double edged sword because my father was so afraid of me being a sissy that when he saw me at through and three and four years old dancing and singing and performing, and there are some Super 8 movies, silent movies of him looking at me with such, that. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Meanwhile, he's somebody who did when he finally got it, when he thought that it was, he encouraged it, but it was tricky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there was a thing, I my, my, <clears throat> think my father's told, my father died last August. I'm so sorry. we're coming upon a year,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but he, tells, he used to tell this story because, you know, I was kind of a star in my little tiny town in Oklahoma, right? Sure. I was the sissy boy, but I had talent. Mm-hmm. And I created things, and I wrote them, and I choreographed them, and I starred in them, and I did basically what I'm doing now, except now I get to do with professionals. Um, sometimes I think that I'm like, wow, I'm still making shit up. Anyway, <laughs> um, when I was like, when I was 15 years old, he drove me to Dallas for this audition. And it was hundreds of people mm-hmm. and um, in this hotel lobby or ballroom and they were loud and they're you know the dancers had their legs up on the walls and everybody and then people are performing at the front of this uh ballroom with the table out with all the producers and everything behind and because it was sort of an event for this many people the news crews the local news crews were there so i'm sitting there and i'm hearing people talk doing other auditions and i'm like you know so it was my turn i'm 15 years old Mm -hmm. And I went up to the pianist and I took my sheet music and I said, I'm going to change this. I'm going to start here on this big note and you follow me here and whatever. So I changed my arrangement at the last minute and I went up and I sang and the room became quiet and everybody stopped and everybody watched. And then when I finished the news crews, the local news crews rushed down And my father said, that's the moment I knew that it wasn't just that you were, that I was your dad and I thought you were talented in your little town. He said, that's the moment I knew.
0: Oh, goosebumps.
1: So that was sweet. Probably we were innocent then, weren't we dear?
0: Oh my, that's a beautiful story. So Sam, just for fun and for shits and giggles, favorite, things that have happened to you along the way that happened to you because of your celebrity that like hanging out with Liza Minnelli, like, like can you give us like a highlight or two of things that have happened in your life that I know it's a spur of the moment, maybe nothing will come to mind and that's okay if nothing does, but something that thrilled you that you got to do because of your station. Like did you ever walk into a party and go is this really happening am i really here?
1: I don't know. Um, well, literally that's, that's a thing. I was once seeing I was at a concert, I was going to see Patty LaBelle in New York City and when I walked in to the theater and all of a sudden there was all this applause and I'm like what happened? What's what am i missing? What am i missing? And i realized that it was for me. That kind of, I think that was right after Star Search. So that was, that was one of those things. And I was seeing Patti LaBelle, whose arrangement of Over the Rainbow, I had fairly ripped off. <laughs> so that was kind of wonderful. I think my husband, Danny, always says you underestimate the respect that people have for you. Mm-hmm. Because I think we're, I'm still, and maybe you're this way too, I'm still that little kid who's trying to drive around in the parking lot and say, listen to me. Um, I still am that little kid driving around the parking lot. will always be a part of us. And and so I think that, and he always says that. He said, you know, when we'll go somewhere and somebody whom I've loved or admired says, oh, I'm whatever, I'm a fan or I love this and such. I go, what, me, who, what, yeah, really? I will, because, you know, ultimately I am such a fan of talent and of this business, there has never been one time in as many stage doors as I have walked through, even in my darkest moments, there has never been one time or onto a studio lot into a soundstage that I don't think, oh my God. (laughs) When I'm playing a Broadway stage and I think about who's been on those boards, when I walk into a soundstage or whatever at Warner Brothers and I think, oh my God, this is where Betty Davis shot, you know, late until dark, whatever. She wasn't even in that. Um, um, yes, I I am such a fan of talent and creation mm-hmm. that, you know, it can't be me. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm just, I'm honored to be in the room. You know so what I mean?
0: What thrills of people that you've met that knew who you were. Like, did you ever get, I'm sure you have, been surprised by somebody coming up to you and telling you that they're a fan, like
1: somebody you're a fan of? Houston um, was a big fan. Oh, we God. did this thing together and she was gushy. Oh, and God. I was blown away by that because I adored her so much. I told you about Lucille Ball. Mm. That blew me away. Sammy Davis saying that. Um, I'm trying to think of I'm talking about old, old guard, right, right. I was a friend of mine, and I would go to his house and I would meet people like Betty Davis. and that's the things that struck my heart when she would say this was post-stroke, you know, what she you know, uh, I'm trying to think of these are mostly these are things when I was really young because I was mm-hmm. so old over. Um, one time I was doing this show, this benefit show. And Shirley McLean was on the bill, and she was in the wings. And I did whatever my song was. And I came off, and she physically pushed me back onto the stage. Get back out there. Wow. And I went out, and I bowed again, and I came off. And she said, don't you ever apologize to the audience by leaving too early. She said, you've given them something, and they need to tell you that they love you and they need to tell you that you have, that, that you have affected them. Stop oh. being afraid, it's going to end.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And I've, I've had dinner with her since, I've, she's come yeah. to see me things I've done and I will never forget that because this is somebody who I admired, who was a pro and smart and she gave me advice. Wow. So there have been many, many things in my life that I've been so bowled over, uh, or just wow, I get to absorb that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so now as I told you earlier, Sam, we are the COVID crazies. You're amongst the COVID crazies now. That's who's watching us. And I I've been I I told you before the show, I've been watching some of your videos and I know that you have COVID carefulness. So how are you how is your family managing COVID? What what is your do you do you go to stores?
1: I go to the grocery store. You know, I'm I'm a little less crazy as I than I was in the beginning, now that we know more information. Okay. When it started, I wore the N ninety-five, I wore a hat, I wore glasses, I wore gloves, I carried Clorox wipes with me, I carried Lysol with me, I came home. And grocery store shopping is so I love it so much.
0: Me too, it's so, and I haven't I been it. in four months. So I want to hear okay. how you-
1: I love it so much, and this has ruined my experience. Because then I come home, unload it in my garage, wipe down everything, and a simple trip to the store turns into a three hour ordeal. Yes. And it takes all the fun out of it. Yeah. So I do go to the grocery store. I'm less crazy now.
0: How are you less? What do you not do now? I though? don't wear gloves.
1: I do wear a mask. I do take my Clorox wipes.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I you know, I don't wash my clothes when I come home. Okay. I recognize that this is primarily transmitted people to people. Mm-hmm. And I'm careful about what I touch and I wipe down certain things and I don't wipe down. I don't like, you know, soak my broccoli in Clorox anymore. <laughs> Danny actually said to me, "Sam, the bread tastes like, you know, Lysol."
0: I saw in your thread that you accidentally Touch something your manager gave you without and you sprayed your hand
1: do you know what i did once vicky i got in even though i was completely i've done it i got into the car and i did this and i thought oh my god my nose even though i had sprayed it and everything do you know what i did i snorted purell i i
0: put soap up my nostrils when i've been
1: I smoked it, (laughs) you know what we're doing this summer? We're going to Montana where there are no cases because there's no people.
0: Wait a minute. Are you getting on a plane?
1: No. No. Okay. We're driving two days to Montana. We're staying on a ranch. We're the only guests. And we're gonna go horseback riding and fly fishing and river rafting and just we have to get out of here and every year we do fabulous vacations some often abroad or you know at least down to mexico or something belize france italy whatever we do and this year like what are we going to do and we thought about driving actually down to like puerto vallarta and people are like are you crazy you are you are white you're going to be killed on the street on the road you're going to be killed on the road yeah. What it is like for black people in America, it's like for white people in Mexico.
0: Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, how was it with Cooper? I, I feel the most in this whole thing for kids, kids who didn't get to have, especially those who were graduating didn't get. Oh to my college. God, those kids. stuff. My daughter graduated in Yankee Stadium last year and at Radio City Music Hall for NYU for Tish and her friends this year got buckets. So, Cooper, how? has he seen another kid since this whole thing
1: started right now? As we speak, this is a big first for us. Okay. He he is with a family who we know who we know what their practices are. And they have a a house like Laguna or something. And they picked him up at 10 o'clock this morning. They're bringing him back 10 o'clock tonight and they're spending the day together at the beach and a barbecue. And so they're all wearing masks in the car with the windows down, but this is the first time I'm letting him go with a family yeah yeah i trust them and i know them um we have gone to people's houses with social distancing and stayed like 10 feet apart just but only as only one other family um i'm pretty crazy inside about, what
0: inside or outside outside okay yeah yeah
1: i would never be inside at yeah this point. yeah um and i and i think that you know it's really it's really only been three months right March, April, May, June.
0: Four. It's July, been, four months. Been, yeah.
1: Which is it feels like forever, right? Yeah. And yet it's such a small amount of time. And we think of where we're going today. Where was I? I was picking something up. I was picking something uh, something up. And oh. I got out of the car and I forgot my mask. And I went back to, to get it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my God, I actually forgot my mask. This is the first time in a long time this has become such a part of our lives already. Right. And it was such a freedom to think, oh, something's missing, what is that? It feels really good, oh, I'm not covered. Um, I read
0: something yesterday where somebody said, we're gonna be wearing masks for a few years. I don't think that's true. I, I think this is gonna get resolved sooner than that. There was too many brilliant minds working on it, but we're gonna be doing it for a while, that's for sure.
1: Well, you were asking about the kids, you know, Cooper did Zoom How did he- for the last three months. And we've had to bend a lot of rules. We've had to really open up video time, which used to be, you know, two hours on the weekends and now it's four hours a day. Mm-hmm. That's his communication on his headset with his friends when they play games together. Of course. We still, you know, we go out, we walk the dogs, we do we bicycle, we do things. And he doesn't act like it affects him. He's not he's not like he was like a he wasn't a team sports guy. So those things aren't missing for him. Right. So- Seems like he's fine, but there are there are definite effects. And I've told Danny, we gotta throw this kid a bone because little things he's acting on in little ways that I have to remember we're in extraordinary circumstances that have to have an but you know what he's done? He started an ice cream business called Coop- Coops. It's called Coops Coops. And this started because our neighbor was giving away an ice cream machine. So, we made ice cream and, like, this is really good because I told him you need a summer job. You're 12, you're in COVID. You need to, like, mow somebody's lawn. You need to wash the exterior of their cars. You need something. He started 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 an ice cream cream. cream business. Yeah.
0: Oh, something like that.
1: Anyway, so it's it's called Coop Scoops and it's vanilla chocolate chip and chocolate. It's amazing. I mean, it's so fattening. It's just cream and sugar and cream and cream and sugar and they're in little pints with a little label on them and he's selling them all around the neighborhood and he's giving uh i think it's 20 percent to aclu specifically for our right to protest and black lives matter and it's just it's great so almost every day we had to buy a deep freeze so every day he's we're making this ice cream and he's doing the labels and he's emailing and it's it's great so, and he walks
0: to the neighbors, or you drive him around to...
1: We do deliveries where I drive him around, but if it's in our neighborhood, he goes to the neighbor, And we have flyers, so we canvass the neighborhood too.
0: I love this. Do you, do you think, it's, it's beautiful. Do you think that he got the education that he would have gotten had he been in the classroom? Do you think he lost something? No, yes, what?
1: I think he did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he did. I think that you can't. Okay. Danny goes on. He's, his business is, you know, he's, he's to travel three, four days a week. Now right. he's home but he's on zoom 8. AM to 4 PM every day. It's so exhausting because you're doing this right now. I'm not looking at you. I glance into you once in a while, but I'm looking at a green dot. So we have some sense of connection right
0: and i am not i'm looking at you i'm not looking at the dot i should be i'm looking when at you when i'm talking place. to
1: you i'm looking when you're talking i'm looking at you when i'm talking i'm looking at the dot right so I should be point but i no 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 but i look at i look at you and all your beads um <laughs> and your rings and your rings i love your rings i always love your rings anyway um there's no way that a 12 year old or 11 year old or 10 year old or 14 year old can sit at a computer from eight 30 in the morning until one 30 or two o'clock in the afternoon and absorb information without any energy, without any participation. You know, he raises his hand. There's only 15 people in his class. So, uh, but there's just no way. Yeah. Yes. He has suffered. And I would, there's no freaking way there's going to be school in the fall. And if there is- All my, right, I, my, I was
0: listening to that on MSNBC right before we went on, because the idiot in chief is saying there will be, and he's demanding that there will be. And one of my kids' teachers did this impassioned plea on Facebook today because she has ext- she has um, underlying conditions. She's got three children that are in the school system. She's got a husband in the school system. She's got a mother-in-law in the school system and she is terrified. If they make them go back to school, she she could die. She will be at risk. She can't do it.
1: What pisses me off, Vicki, is these arguments, that you hear them, Laura, whatever her name is, that horrible woman on Fox, Laura Ingram, who's saying, they're children, they have strong immune systems. They, even if they get it, I'm like, it's not about the children. Anybody it's who has, home. knows that it's a Petri dish and you bring it home and then everyone's dead. So. Here's my a good friend of mine sent me a text today, said that their private school sent mm-hmm. them a notice saying they're starting at the end of August. I'm like, Are you kidding? He said, I don't know what to do. And I just wrote, No, period. No, no, no.
0: Okay, a so someone period, else.
1: Treatment for not- a vaccine. I am not putting my child in a public place indoors. You can't speak with a mask and be heard. You can't eat. What are they supposed to do for lunch? Like, then eat?
0: Somebody uh, was saying on MSNBC earlier, or CNN, whatever it was, that they got a paper in the mail today with three choices. Yes, my child will attend real classes. My child will do a combination of virtual and real. My child will only do virtual. Now, I don't know where his child goes to school, but he was given a choice. They get to sign off. And they were picking choice B, virtual and real. I would assume you would just choose choice C, virtual only.
1: You know what? I never say never because it's just July. I have a couple of months. If in my in Cooper School
0: are yeah, having to choose now.
1: Well, we thankfully we haven't had to add they've they've surveyed us. Hmm. Cooper School is a small school. It's private. There's only 30 kids in the entire seventh grade that he's going got. Right. So if they did the half and half. I just, what they would do is they do like half of them one week, Zoom, and then half of it, you know, Right. but here's the thing. I just don't see how it can work, I and know. I don't see, and, and also, I would never fault a teacher for saying, I'm not going there, mm-hmm. so here's the deal. If they give us these choices, I hope they let us choose, because I am not, I don't want my child to suffer, because we're trying to make prudent life-defining decisions.
0: This was a public school teacher, so I don't know that she's gonna get a choice. You know, this is, it's not fair.
1: To it, fire her?
0: No, this is the thing, this is not fair. You cannot force people to endanger their lives.
1: That's it- right, especially if they have personal circumstances. Absolutely. Or are compromised in any way. You know what, that's not gonna happen, Vicki. Your friend's gonna be fine, because talk okay. about a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. That's like saying, you know, I have to. You, you, I, you, I'm going to make you eat peanut butter, even though you're going to go into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly. So, Sam, tell before we go. Tell me what are some things that. All right, you are with the people that you love, and that does make your situation. Part. Um, that does make your situation uh, more palatable for. How do you feed your soul and you can't you know, well, you do still go to the grocery store, um, but that's not a fun experience anymore. What is fun for you in this? How how are you filling your soul and having joy and um, having a sense of normalcy?
1: Well, I'm fortunate that I have three projects going on at the same time that I am invested in and I get to work on. Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate in that I had do have get to be with people that I love. Mm-hmm. I am a. I love cooking. I have gained 20 pounds, by the way. I've gained 20 pounds. Um, I love cooking. Mm-hmm. So I get to feed my...
0: Know, f- tomorrow. I- I have cooked more in the last four months than I've cooked in my entire life. You're always time. like
1: paper thin, Vicky. You don't count. You're like, <laughs> always like this.
0: No, I've gained, and I'm going on this new thing, which by the way, I have to just quickly tell you, it's called op, op, Octavia. Have you heard about this?
1: Octavia Spencer?
0: Not Octavia, Op, with a P. Octavia. Okay, I know two people yesterday told me about it. My girlfriend Zoe has lost 13 and a half pounds in two weeks. My friend Aris has lost 25 pounds in three weeks. It is a cannot fail food system. What is fail. It? It's they send you everything. You buy shit. You buy shit, but it is like the it is the new, it is the thing that everybody is swearing by that you cannot fail. You cannot fail. And what better time than COVID when we can't go to restaurants than to eat what they're sending?
1: You're gonna send me a link, right?
0: So I'm get I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna send to I the, the food I just got from Whole Foods, I have to eat. There's no fruits. There's no,
1: a lot of things, so. Are you gonna send me the information? I'm sending, I'm sending. Okay. I'm gonna so, do it. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm cooking, I'm eating. Um, I don't know, I'm just, we're, we're getting through. And I'll tell you this, this, you're gonna think that I'm a horrible person because I've done this. I have friends who are single, who've had no physical contact but I walk with them. We walk in Griffith Park and we walk six feet apart and we have them, and we face forward. And at the end of those walks, they look that way, I look this way and we hug each other.
0: Thank you for doing that. You know, I this is gonna make me cry. The first time I hadn't been touched in three months and um, my boyfriend and I met and he was like, I just wanna hug you, I just wanna hug you. And I, we did the... You face this way. He wanted me to get in his car. No, you face this way. I And we did that hug, but then it was too scary for me. So literally we got the full body and we make I out, hear you. make out with, with, a, I, with a thing. And they all talk, he just bought an air mattress from my, for my deck so that we can go out there and we can fool around in, in plastic and lay down and roll around with each other because it's impossible. Thank you for hugging people that need a hug. Thank you. Yeah, I
1: need it too. Okay, I'm sharing something with you. Yes, (laughs) who is this? This is Kevin.
0: Kevin.
1: New edition, you asked me what we've done during COVID. Yes. turned 12 in April. He's been wanting a pug puppy. We already have another dog. And so this has been the joy of our life. Crazy. Look at this. Look at I mean, that. what could be wrong except that there's dog shit all over the house? But he has brought us so much joy. You've heard like all the rescue centers are empty now because everybody's gotten dogs and cats. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> anyway, this is we're going on like almost yeah, what? Well,
0: I was just going to say we have to wrap. We've been talking forever. I could talk to you forever.
1: Um, I could talk to you forever. And i hope you know i hope nobody's gonna watch this whole thing but anyway
0: the entire time
1: i adore you i adore you i'm grateful for you we will get through this and something that i know about you is you are always always reinventing you are always finding ways to express yourself and put love and goodness into the world and create a sense of communication that reaches out to people you never ever stop you do everything and I am your friend and I am grateful that we were able to talk about my book with you because I know how valuable literature is to you as the writer and as a human being so thank you.
0: Sam, thank you so much. I cannot wait to end this so that I can go back and get back into your book, which is what I am going to be doing tonight. Thank you so much. I adore you. I wish you the, the number one New York Times bestseller that you deserve. I hope everything wonderful happens. I can't wait to watch your show. You'll, you'll keep me abreast so I can keep everyone informed. And, um, and, and you'll,
1: you'll, you'll call me when you're finished with the book because I want to hear.
0: Absolutely. And I'll okay. send you the link for the diet. All right. I love you.
1: Thank you. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye, everybody. See you soon.